This is The Guardian. I'm Faker Rothers and welcome to the Guardian Women's Football Weekly. The second round of matches are underway, but there's no luck for the Irish. Republic of Ireland are out. An early Katie McCabe goal, not enough. And Canada came from behind to take all three points and send them home. Spain are in scintillating form in a five-star performance against Zambia, though. As for Japan, why on earth weren't they anyone's dark horses? Meanwhile, who comes out of Group A is anyone's guess as we finally uh, get a debutante win thanks to the Philippines. While Colombia cause a shock against South Korea and stake a claim for fans of the tournament. We'll talk all of that, plus we'll take your questions. And that's today's Guardian Women's Football Weekly. Women's Football Weekly is supported by Google Pixel, the only phone engineered by Google and proud partner of the England teams. Search Google Store to find out more. What a panel we have here today. Jessie Parker Humphreys, a delight to see you. How's it going down in Oz? It's great. It's very tiring. The weather feels very changeable. It'll be very hot and then suddenly it's quite cold. Um, but apart from that, it's going well. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm loving the kind of, you know, sheepskin-esque coat that you're wearing, uh, suggesting that it is chilly. And Salon Andy Hickman has a, has a big hoodie on currently and almost E.T.-like with her headphones over the top. How are you? It's an ode to Alex Pop. Um, <laughs> I'm good. And um, Jesse, you're actually in the warm bit. You're in the, the warmer bit than I am, right? Are you still in Brisbane? Yeah, it is really nice when you're in the sun. So I was walking around in a T-shirt, lovely. As soon as you step into the shade, oh my God, you've got to get another layer on. I've not really experienced anything like that before. Julia Beas is making her pod debut and has a palm tree behind her by the looks of things. So you're the one rocking the heat there, Julia. How are you doing? It's really nice. It's really... It- I'm Brazilian, so I should be complaining about the the cold, but I live in the UK, so it's not that cold, and it's been really nice here in Brisbane, and I got a really nice like place to rent, so I have a palm tree behind me, so it's really nice. <laughs> Excellent. Well, it looks it looks wonderful. I think Ireland are going to need some palm trees. They're going to need a a holiday to get over. Uh, defeat at their first ever World Cup because in Group B just now it's just finished and it finished Canada 2, Ireland 1 which means the Irish are out uh, Casey McCabe had uh, scored an early goal Salon hadn't it? I mean it, it doesn't seem quite fair that we haven't seen enough of them really nil point after both performances but they were good in both performances Yeah and I think that's probably what the why it feels so tough right now and probably why we saw Kate McCabe in tears at the end there because they really did give it everything and it feels yeah I'm really unlucky and unfortunate that they haven't got a point or or you know or more than that I think going going forward I think today the first the first 10 15 20 minutes was was all island and it really felt like there was a lot of momentum but I think probably yeah, if if they had 11 Katie McCaves on that pitch, they would be top of that group. 
Um, but unfortunately they don't and you can't win tournament football like that and they gave everything and, and she particularly gave everything so you can see why it was so heartbreaking at the end for them to not go further and I think probably from a fan's perspective as well we wanted this Irish team to do to do a bit better and go a bit further. Yeah we really did but it was an Olympic goal against the Olympic champions Jesse Kate McGabe with that opener after just four minutes and scoring straight from a corner as well Ireland's first ever World Cup goal ultimately didn't mean anything but what a moment for her. Yeah, and I love the way she just went and celebrated with her just arms in the air. She really is her, isn't she? Like, she's so Katie McCabe all the time. It was a fantastic goal. I do sometimes think Olympicos, you look at the goalie a little bit. Um, but I think think as they go, this was, was a pretty good one. But had that kind of classic cliche of feeling like maybe they just scored a little bit too early. And I think at first, Canada looked really, really rattled and you thought, well, maybe they can hold on to it because Ireland were all over them. But those halftime subs from Bev Priestman just totally changed the game. And, and after that, Canada were pretty much in control, weren't they? Yeah, I mean, the conditions in this game were <laughs> were something else, weren't they? The the wind, the rain, everything. Another reason why Ireland are going to need a, a bit of sunshine and a holiday after after this tournament. And it, I have spent a bit of time on the west coast of Ireland. I can confirm it suited them, but ultimately not not quite enough. Uh, you know, that late goal in the first half, the own goal from Connolly against the run of play, arguably. But it feels as if in both of these games, you know, with the Marissa Shiva penalty giveaway in the opening game against Australia and then this own goal, which, you know, was just unfortunate, isn't it? That they'll be they'll be disappointed with themselves in, in part, Salon. Definitely. And I think they've they've shown I think I don't I don't know whether they've overachieved or, or like exceeded people's expectations, but I think they were a team that I think going into a tournament as a as a debut team, you you Basically, it's kind of a, a bit of a blank canvas for them. And I think that's why it is a shame that they have got the results that they have because their performances don't necessarily merit those results. Although today's, I think today's game, it was, yeah, 40, the first 45 minutes, it really felt like it was it was an Irish, you know, dominant performance and Canada just look a bit shook, really. They just, they, they didn't really know how to handle it. And then second half, it, was just completely dull <laughs> I think from a fan's perspective or a neutral perspective wanting to or wanting Ireland to do well or a bit of an upset it felt it felt quite boring and um yeah I think we we needed a bit more a bit a bit more fight a bit more well I'd say not a bit more fight actually because I think that's probably what a lot of the Irish team do have but just lacking that quality I think that the Canadians definitely have and are able to kind of overturn and and override and ride through some of those difficult periods. Yeah, game plan was kind of overturned, wasn't it? Heather Payne started, uh, was named in the starting lineup, but had to pull out um, during the warm up. So Orneo Gorman came in, in instead. But we did actually get a chance to see Amber Barrett, who we'd been calling for after the Australia game, uh, Jesse. But, you know, she had. 35 minutes and couldn't quite or 25 minutes. Sorry, I can't really add. And, uh, and couldn't quite show what we know she's capable of. Yeah, and I think, you know, kind of Salon almost just touched on it there that it sort of sums up the gulf between those teams when Canada are bringing Christine Sinclair off the bench and, and Ireland you know it's a lot of talent but maybe not the same kind of it's, it's not the same level is it ultimately and that's like no shade on on those Irish players and I think even more than that there's maybe a sense of a, a different savviness as well and that's what comes from when you've got players who go to international tournaments all the time and and 
a team making their international tournament debut. I, I do think Kyra Caruso was a real standout for Ireland. Like if you're looking beyond Katie McCabe, I thought she was really impressive leading the line, which is, you know, a very tiring job when you're not going to have a lot of the ball. And I know Lucy Ward on, on comms in England was saying that, you know, when Kadisha Buchanan was, was taken off at half time for Shalina Zdorsky, that's almost like the biggest praise you could give Caruso to have your, your you know the center back base because Buchanan just couldn't deal with her at all and you know that's a, a Chelsea player a player who's who's won the Champions League with with Leon and and I think that's testament to yeah to the way Caruso played but maybe that was almost the problem in some ways that you had these great individual performances whether it was McCabe whether it was Caruso but ultimately not enough to bring it all together into that one big team performance that they were going to need against Canada. Yeah, we'll, uh, well, we'll get to see what the group's going to look like a little bit more uh, tomorrow because uh, Australia play Nigeria on Thursday and, and they're experiencing something of an injury crisis, the co-hosts. Kieran Pender writing in The Guardian that Sam Kerr, Mary Fowler, Kira Simon, all unavailable for the Matilda's second match, as is defensive stalwart Avi Lewick as well. And uh, midfielder Tamika Yallop's also a doubt. I mean, we knew that Fowler and Lewick were ruled out on Wednesday because of mild concussions that they both suffered during training. And Football Australia's concussion protocols require that players have to sit out for six days post-incident. But this is a worry for the co-hosts, isn't it? Especially bearing in mind Nigeria uh, managed to, to hold Canada to a goalless draw in their opening match. And we could potentially see Nigeria start to take control of, of this group, Salon. I mean, yeah, speaking as an England fan, knowing that you, going into a game as a host nation when you've got a, a few injuries and, and being a bit concerned about it, I think obviously, yeah, is is basically not the position you want to be in at all, I think. And this, Australia didn't look that convincing against Ireland, right? A 1-0 win. And I think Nigeria could could get a result tomorrow, which really opens the group up and I think makes it a lot more exciting for all of us. Um, but being here in Australia, I think it's very hard not to not to want the Matildas to do well. And I think even in the face of adversity, I think it, it kind of accelerates it a bit more, right? You really want them to, to pull through. And I think that opening game when we saw or got the news just before the game about Sam Kerr's injury, you kind of felt this, yeah, your heart drop a little bit of this is what they wait, this is what they've waited for, this is what they've built for over the last few years. It doesn't just mean something for them and their individual careers, but it means something for the their nation and the the and for the future of women's football in their country. And I think they all want to be a part of that. So to have so many injuries and so many doubts of key players as well and young players who want this tournament to be the tournament they make a name for themselves is is a really sad situation to be in. It's all over kind of the Aussie press at the moment of of who will be back and what's actually wrong with them and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, you, you do feel for them. But if you're a Nigerian fan, then I think it's probably the best best conditions you could be going into playing Australia tomorrow. Yeah, most definitely. And and leaves for a very exciting group. Uh, one group done and dusted already, though, after the second uh, round of matches is Group C. Uh, Bish Bash Bosh, Spain and Japan. Uh, let's start with the Spanish, shall we? A 5-0 victory over Zambia and they were brilliant again in this game Julia friend of the pod Anita Asante said on the BBC it's a different side to the one we saw at the Euros are they starting to look like potential champions for you absolutely and you know to look at Spain you always know that this generation specifically is going to pull through like they don't feel the pressure as other teams do and you know they have been doing really well 
they did when they played the under-17 World Cup, when they played the under-20 World Cup. So now they're basically the same generation playing the, the senior World Cup and, and dealing with the kind of pressure, even though they have a lot of things happening outside of the pitch, you know, a lot of players who are not playing for the national team because they choose not to. Um, but still, when they play, especially in group stage, when they just need to show up and do a good job, it doesn't rely as much on luck or moments or anything like that. They definitely can pull through. And Japan, you know, we saw them win the World Cup not that long ago, but still, it's kind of hard for them to take that advantage they have in the under-20, under-17 side to the senior teams. And it's really interesting to see because they did they did do a, a you know a bad game necessarily, but uh saying they have the skill, they have the players, they have what they need to win and to win beautifully as they did. And of course they have Jenny Hermoso who's a really brilliant player who scored two goals. So it's really nice to watch them play. Yeah, two goals from her, one from Abiera in the ninth minute and then Redondo uh, with two to finish off the route. And it didn't feel, Jesse, as if they kind of needed or even maybe wanted to get out of second gear. They still got five goals. Maybe have one eye on, on the last 16 already. How much better can they be? Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see how they look against Japan in that final group game because I think they obviously have been very impressive. But I think you can caveat the two performances and that they were playing Zambia and they were playing Costa Rica. And I actually thought what was really interesting about this game is that Zambia showed exactly where you can exploit Spain in between the fullbacks. Part of the reason they've been so impressive in attacking sense is because basically Onabatia and Olga Carmona have just bombed all the way up. So they're almost playing a front five. And you did see these moments from Rachel Kunanje from Barbara Banda where they, they were able to get in behind. They couldn't quite turn them into like great opportunities but what will be really interesting is we've seen Japan attack those exact fullback spaces very well with their wing backs in both their games against Costa Rica and Zambia so it almost feels like not I'm not gonna say we're on fraud watch because I think both of these teams are very good but it's going to be really interesting to see like how robust are each of their tactics when they actually sort of play each other rather than the minnows in this group hot takes Jesse hot takes always <laughs> um i mean in that conversation you didn't even mention alexia puteus and she's so good she was everywhere in that first half salon uh, it's still you know the, the the second round of the of the group game so maybe a touch too soon to start calling for player of the tournament particularly bearing in mind what jesse just said about the opponents there but you know we know her potential Definitely. But I don't know whether, Jesse, you've just fired me up with your hot take. But I think the second goal Patelis is very involved in, but it's very it's very easy for her to put that cross in. She's under absolutely zero pressure, quite, you know, far, far up the pit in the box, I think, when she uh, puts the ball in. It's a lovely ball for Hermoso to head at the back post. But and it, you can call it a bit of individual brilliance. But again, I'm not saying I, I don't think they've put under, been put under huge amounts of pressure for Patelis to to you know, really show what she's got. And it was good to see her playing so fluidly. It was great to see her playing for that length of time and, you know, getting the half in. Um, but again, yeah, I don't think it's it's player of the tournament um, performances just yet. I think, yeah, I've, I think Spain looked quite quite nervous at the back, I think, when, when Zambia did break. Um, 
I think the two two centre backs had a few nervy chances with Barbara Banda. I mean, anyone anyone trying to retain a ball whilst Barbara Banda is running at you, uh, determined to get it off you. You know, to be fair, if you keep on if you keep hold of it, then fair play. Um, but they did look nervous, and I think Jesse's right in terms of talking about what that how that manifests itself against Japan. There were weaknesses across the bat there. And I think um, it's going to be one of the most exciting games of the tournament so far when the, when those two teams meet. Just a quick one on Zambia, uh, Julia, because you know it's been a bit of a baptism of fire for them in their first ever World Cup. They've had to play two of the best sides, lost 5-0 in, in both games, but still... I mean, I, I still sit there and say, particularly after that um, that win over over Germany leading into the tournament, I still feel as if they've captured a few hearts. Yes, and uh, I mean, after that win against Germany, they were kind of like surprising side to watch at the World Cup. And for me, it wasn't necessarily as much of Zambia being... Uh, really great as well as Zambia being really organized and playing really organized against a team like Germany that has been really unstable over the past like year or so. So, um, you know, and of course they have Barbara who is awesome and she's such a, she, she smells the balls and she just goes for them. So, you know, when the ball doesn't reach her, it's just not going to happen. They don't have a lot of other options really so if she's out of the game for some reason if she has someone really on like on her back and if someone doesn't allow her to play they're not going to score and that's kind of what happens like of course Spain are side that they really want to hold the ball they really want to pass the ball as much as they can they they work on that on that on that kind of game you know the Spanish kind of game that we know so well so um, for Zambia was necessarily a choice of either uh, trying to leave Banda more freely and, and trying to keep the, the ball in Spain's feet and trying to reach it and play counter-attack or trying to, you know, do something differently. Yeah, that Spain result means, though, that Japan have also made it through to the round of 16, that 2-0 win over Costa Rica. Uh, 2-0 after 27 minutes, in fact, and it felt like Japan might be on their way to another 5-0 thrashing, but they approached the second half like a team preparing for the knockouts, didn't they, Jesse? Five subs made in that half. Um, We haven't talked about them as dark horses, which surprises me very much because we know what they're capable of. How impressed have you been with them so far? I'm amazed. I'm genu- I genuinely think they're amazing. I think they play some of the most tactically exciting football that we've seen at the World Cup so far. And it is so far removed from how they played in 2019 when they were in England's group. And I think that's partially why maybe from an English perspective, they've kind of gone under everyone's radar because in that group stage, it was just, it was very stodgy and you know, it, almost reminiscent of kind of what we see from Canada, for example, now where it's, you know, like you keep it tight at the back and you try and score one or two goals. Whereas this is just so free flowing and exciting and they've got so much young talent coming through. And I think what's really interesting is that sort of over the years, we have seen them succeed at youth age groups in, in the same way as Spain. And, and now maybe we're seeing these these players sort of have come of age and seeing a new generation of Japanese players coming through. Saki Kumagai is obviously the only player left in that squad who was in the, the 2011 squad and, you know, played a very important role in that 2011 win. Um, but it really feels like this is almost like 
the rebirth of this new Japanese team and if anyone hasn't like had the opportunity to watch them yet I would really recommend it because the way they carve out very strong attacking positions is is fascinating they use like all of these central overloads and then put these crosses in and have other players running from the other side and again it's it's only Costa Rica and Zambia so exactly what I said with Spain it'll be interesting to see them against Spain but it's been very very impressive so far yeah they've still scored seven goals when they only scored five in in the 2019 World Cup and we're only two games in so uh, so they're already outperforming themselves I would say uh, Costa Rica though Julia are out tough time at this tournament as well similar to, to Zambia are there any positives for them to take I mean their keeper Solera she made a tournament high 19 saves up till this point which is uh, pretty impressive going yes and I think this this tournament so far has been really about the goalkeeping because especially you know people talk about um, we need to change the size of the goals moving the goalposts we have a whole newsletter with the name um, and we've seen some really great goalkeeping so far and and you know this this smaller quote-unquote teams that have been doing well in this World Cup so far have been doing well because they have really strong defenses, really strong goalkeepers. And this has been something really interesting. If you look at Costa Rica, they considered a lot of goals, of course, but, you know, for them, it's a really strong win that they didn't concede more. And, you know, it's all about experience. In the last World Cup, if they qualify or when they qualify, they'll have the experience and they'll have more to add to their experience. So, um, yeah, I'm really excited to see what they'll do next. It's all about what they'll take from this first World Cup experience and build on that, which is really amazing. A smile from Salon there. We'll talk goalkeepers uh, in uh, in part two, actually. Uh, Salon part of the goalkeepers union, even though she doesn't play as uh, in goal for, for Dulwich. Next games in this group, I think for Costa Rica and, and Zambia, the opportunity to get three points on the board will be very exciting. But the exciting game is Japan versus Spain. Uh, they're both on Monday at 8am UK time. Right, that's it for part one. In part two, we'll wrap up Tuesday's action, including a historic night for the Philippines. Welcome back to part two of the Guardian Women's Football Weekly. Before we get stuck in, just a reminder, you need to sign up to the Guardian's Moving the Goalposts newsletter. Some really great analysis on a couple of the tournament underdogs. Haiti and uh, Jamaica have really impressed. You just need to sign up and they'll drop uh, straight into your inbox for free. So please do that. Uh, Group A is really exciting. We have no idea who's going to come out of it, which is uh, wonderful. But what was also wonderful, we talked about the fact that none of the eight debutants had won a game yet and up popped the Philippines and a historic result for them. Serena Bolden with a header in the 25th minute, the only goal of the game and their first ever goal and victory at a Women's World Cup. The Philippines manager, Alan Steichit, said that the result has been one of the biggest wins in the history of sport in the country. Salon, exactly how big was this for them? Oh, it was huge. And you could just see, it was so beautiful to see uh, the celebrations as well from Serena Bolden when she scored that goal and the whole Philippines team, I think. Yeah, it was, it was 
it was very unfortunate, I think, for um, New Zealand goalkeeper. I think that, you know, you're, she's in the right position and actually probably on another day, she's probably saved that and palmed it over the bar or at least palmed it away. Um, and unfortunately, it's, yeah, she's just let it go in. But um, you can't take that away from, from the Philippines who after that goal absolutely buckled down and did phenomenally to ensure that they were going to get those three points. It's obviously, yeah, I think the biggest shock so far and obviously our first, I think, first debutante to get, to get a win in the tournament so far. I watched an interview earlier with um, Serena Bolden after the game and I think the emotion, and I don't think you can take away what that means when you think about the camps that they've been on for this long, the fact that so many of them are travelling from all over the world to kind of be back in the Philippines to to be in these things. They don't have the you know masses of resources. They don't have the budgets of, of other nations. And I think, you know, these women are giving everything to be in these teams and then suddenly they come into these tournaments not thinking, you know, maybe if we're lucky we might, get a, you know a result somewhere in this game and I think to get it against a host nation you could see what that meant and I, I was quite gutted for New Zealand I think after that shock opening win I think you kind of thought this was their, their opportunity to cement in the group and unfortunately they didn't manage to but that's the beauty of it is that you get a win like that for the Philippines and I think I think afterwards they were saying that Serena Bolden was asked football isn't even an official sport in the Philippines for women's football at the moment and what that would do for the, the, the sport in the country was would be huge and I think that's the kind of thing that they're all carrying through so yeah it was beautiful it was a beautiful watch to a uh, game to watch I actually was with Maz Pacheco um in a bar in in Sydney who is part Filipino and watching her get a bar stool and sort of jump run around the bar with it above her head um because she was absolutely buzzing to see to see her um her, her nation do well so that was really special too yeah I tell you what Julia they're really playing their part in making group A very open indeed how impressed have you been with them it's been really interesting because you know when you look at group A one of the things that people would bet on was that you know, Norway would be in the top of the group. And then the second position will be really open. And that's obviously not the case. It's been kind of a mess, really. I've been, uh, I've been loving to watch it. I love when chaos reigns in the World Cup because, you know, that's what makes it fun. It's once every four years and you can enjoy, you know, stories like the Philippines and, and what they are doing. And, I don't know. I, I feel like they already did so much in the World Cup that if they get a win in the last game, it will be amazing. If they don't, they did enough already and they are going to be remembered because of that. So I, I'm really excited to see this last round, not because of who is going to qualify, but as how they're going to behave in this last game that's supposed to be you know, the toughest game for them in this World Cup. And I don't know, they felt really confident in the pre-game conference, like press conferences. So I don't know, maybe they'll just enjoy themselves and enjoy what they're doing and create a whole nother level mess that we love watching. Yeah, they were really solid at the back, Jesse, weren't they? And uh, took their chances on the counter-attack. Can you see the Philippines getting something against Norway dreaming of the last 16? I mean, at this rate, I think I could go out there and get something against Norway, to be honest. They're in such a mess. <laughs> um, I mean, potentially. That, it's hard, isn't it? Because I feel like New Zealand have just shown the sort of taste of your own medicine thing. You can be on this massive high from from getting a win and then it can all change very, very quickly. Um, I think Julia's right to say that the, the Philippines will feel like they've achieved 
more than maybe they could have imagined by by getting one win. But I'm I'm sure Norway will look at you know sort of the the performance Philippines had against Switzerland and and then the win against New Zealand and feel a little bit worried because they they've shown that they can sit back and defend and you know Norway will need to go for it effectively so there will be space you'd think at the at the back too although Norway going for it just looks like I don't know again normal people running around so it'll be an interesting it'll be an interesting one to see how it plays out yeah we're going to talk Norway in a second uh, but let's focus on New Zealand quickly Salon very unlucky really two disallowed goals but Philippines goalkeeper Olivia McDaniel produced the heroics in injury time and was named player of the match you tweeted justice for goalkeepers how uh, disappointed were you with New Zealand, though? I mean, the crowd were really on their backs in in the second half, which isn't very helpful. A, a win would have seen them straight through to the round of 16 after two games. And, and now they've got to get a result against Switzerland. Yeah, but Olivia McDaniel deserves everything for that performance. That save in the, like, what was it, 90 plus two from jail. Uh, like, it's so point blank range and she gets down for it and I think gets her left hand to it and just palms it out the side and that you could see the way that her players celebrated with it it was like you deserve everything Olivia like to to have done that and I was actually talking to um my teammate at Dulwich who played with her in America they were playing at college together in America and she said she wasn't even making the college team that time and then would she um really put her head down absolutely went for it to get her uh, Philippines Nationals team spot and she worked super hard and my friend messaged me saying when I was tweeting about Olivia um to say like yeah what a transformation and that is like how much hard work gets you and it's kind of reminiscent and it's annoying to make uh, English comparisons all the time isn't it but of, of Mary Earps uh, in terms of how she was told you know the career's not kind of going anywhere and then she worked really hard and changed it all and I think that sometimes we don't give goalkeepers the, the recognition that they deserve so that's why I'm in the goalkeepers union and I was really happy she got player of the match um because I think Mary Earp should have got it <laughs> in the England game as well but yeah New Zealand it was it was heartbreaking for them and they did really throw everything those two disallowed goals I think one was for like an inch of a shoulder which you got you've got to be like all right luck is not on our side today when when things like that happen but uh, yeah, I'm just delighted for the Philippines and I'm quite glad that we've got such a, a cagey and exciting group at this point. Yeah, the goalless draw between Switzerland and, and Norway sets up a really interesting final uh, group match stage uh, for these two. It's out of Norway's hands though. And, and Jesse, you mentioned just now how much of a mess they are. What exactly is going on? We've talked on this pod before that they're all playing like individuals. It seems like there is disharmony in that group. Yeah, I think there's almost more than disharmony. I'm I'm kind of impressed because I always thought about Hegarisa when she was at England and when she was at Great Britain that she seemed like a perfectly pleasant woman who didn't necessarily know how to manage a football team. And it was interesting that Frank Kirby and Kim Little were both on ITV ahead of the the Norway game and and were sort of saying very diplomatically I thought, "Oh, she's like no one we've ever worked under." But it seems like she's managed to really piss off Caroline Graham Hansen, which is probably the last player you'd want to to piss off on your team. Um, Graham Hansen was dropped for this game. She reacted by moaning about it on television for everyone and then was wheeled out today to do a statement saying how she was still annoyed, but she shouldn't have said it. And she just wanted what was best for the team but also that she shouldn't have been dropped. Um, And then there was the photo, I don't know if anyone saw it, where Hegarisa's like 
peering round just to really get that hostage situation vibe going. Um, so off pitch, it's not looking great. On pitch, obviously, we had Ada Hegerberg kind of dramatically walk off just before the game started because she'd picked up this injury and then everyone looked very confused about that happened. Apparently she was ill. Yeah, ill. Now they're saying groin. Or something with groin. Oh. Her groin was sick. <laughs> out your groin is sick. Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, and, and then on the pitch, it just, it's really bizarre. It doesn't look like they've got any idea what they're doing together and it's a lot of very talented players who suddenly seem to have had all their talent evaporate. Caroline Graham Hansen's exact words were, I feel like I've been stepped on for a year. I have not been shown respect. And and actually, you know, we, we talk about Hegerisa and there are lots of question marks over her. She won the World Cup with Norway back in 1995 and, and clearly feels that, you know, she can take this side on. But don't ask Beth Mead about Hegerisa. She won't even talk about her. I think it's quite the opposite. All Beth Mead does is talk about Hegerisa and how she was dropped. <laughs> yeah, but 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 always says she doesn't want to talk about her at the, at the same time. But obviously, what you need from a manager is somebody who um, looks after you and tells you what you're good at and what you can improve on. And it doesn't necessarily feel like, you know, that's, I mean, I don't know, I'm not in the Norway camp. I wasn't in the Team GB camp either, but I don't know. It just feels something a little bit off there. But the apology, you're right, Jesse, was just so weird. Um, huh. After the game yesterday, it got the better of me. And I want to apologise for my statements. I want to apologise to my teammates, the coaches, plural, and my country. <laughs> I mean, yeah, if uh, she said it, I know it causes unrest around the team when I speak out as I did yesterday. It was not the rational me. Interesting. Not ideal prep, I would say uh, for sure. But uh, Switzerland seemed like the only team with no drama going on at the moment. So, you know, it's all, all, all chilled in Switzerland. Kel surprise. Uh, so maybe they will end up topping the group for that reason. But we shall see the next uh, games in this group. Norway against Philippines, Sunday at 8am and the same time for Switzerland against New Zealand. Still no clearer as to who gets out and into the last 16. Uh, group H, we're still on the first round of games in, in Group H. It feels like they're playing catch up just a little bit. But what a performance from Colombia to beat South Korea by two goals to nil. And uh, it looked pretty easy for them, actually, Julia, didn't it? It did. And it's quite interesting because, you know, I, I love this Colombian team. Uh, they played Brazil in the final of the Copa America and they have been fighting so much to get respect from the Federation, to get respect from the media. And it feels like they are using that to fuel their, you know, their performance in this World Cup. It was a interesting game to watch and to see Linda Caicedo is a 18 year old player who has scored in three World Cups in one year. It's amazing. And I'm so happy to see that happening. Um, because, you know, in women's football in South America, it's usually so overlooked um, by the media, by federations, that to see them succeeding, even if just for one game, it's so awesome. And I'm so happy for them. Yeah, it was it was brilliant. Salon, you were at this game and said that the Colombian fans were the best you've seen so far. What was the atmosphere like? It was incredible. Honestly, I am a Colombian fan now. It was so much fun. I'm trying to get myself a ticket to go on Sunday night and watch them play Germany because 
they there were so many of them the, the stadium was completely yellow the national anthem was like goosebumps shivers down your spine material um and i just loved that these colombian fans they don't just cheer the goals and the exciting bits and get off their seats for them someone makes a defensive header someone makes a save someone makes a tackle and they go wild like it's a goal i was like this this is the crowd that i want to be in honestly it was so so much fun i think seeing that performance as well and like almost you felt that like they were completely charged up like quite wired and that was kind of matching on you know what was in the stands was matching what was what was on the pitch for a lot of that game they're kind of yeah I tweeted saying like they were definitely very much employing the uh, if you lose the ball you win it back in five seconds rule they were like clattering those South Korean players and I think there was that was a beautiful thing to watch and, and definitely, yeah, my favourite favorite fan base and team probably of the tournament so far. Yeah, Jesse, it was a game for incredibly young players to make us all feel incredibly old. In fact, the whole tournament has made me feel like that. Uh, Caicedo becoming the second youngest player to score at a Women's World Cup after Brazil's Marta, who did so age 17 back in 2003. And then South Korea's Casey Fair becoming the youngest ever player at a Women's World Cup at the tender age of 16 years and 26 days. I feel ancient. There are some serious, precocious young talent out there, aren't there? Yeah, although it is interesting because I do sometimes wonder what it says about the development of of women's football and and the age group system. And not to say it's not fair, because I think it's obviously amazing. And, you know, if you're good enough, you're old enough, I think is, is a reasonable rule. But I do think it will be an interesting thing to see how how these players and maybe how this changes over time because it's not something you see as much in the men's game anymore. You Obviously, you see one-offs, but I think Casey Fair was the third 16-year-old that we've seen play at the tournament so far. And it, it definitely, I think, you know, obviously maybe speaks to, to the fact that you can see all these very talented young players coming through, but but maybe they they stand out for certain reasons, but yeah, I don't know. I can't quite put it into words, but it, it just there's something about it which I I find it's something to celebrate, but also I think it, it it's an interesting thing to ponder about how we bring young girls into into senior women's football and how that might change over time. Yeah, I think it is going to change over time. I think we're going to see something vastly different in uh, in the 2027 incarnation of of the Women's World Cup for sure. As uh, as things start to improve across the board, we're already seeing that you know the teams are, are much more evenly matched this time round. I think maybe that will be the the, the next step in in 2027. Uh, next games in this group on Sunday round two, uh, South Korea will face Morocco and Germany will face Colombia at 5:30 a.m for South Korea's match and 10.30 for Germany's. Uh, Jesse, lovely to see you. Take care. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Salon, see you soon. See you soon, guys. Julia, wonderful opening debut from you. I, I'm, I'm, I'm channeling all your Philippines vibes uh, instead. Thank you so much. Yes, I'm happy to be here brilliant stuff we will be back on friday women's football weekly is produced by joel grove music composition was by laura iredale and our executive producer is max sanderson friday's our next pod as i say after england against denmark women's football weekly is supported by google pixel With its incredible camera and AI-powered technology, Google Pixel is bringing fans closer to the game this summer. Search Google Store to find out more.
This is The Guardian. 